Okay, so as Travis shared, we're in the book of James. We're about in the middle of the book in James, the, the tail end of chapter 3. And as we've mentioned many of these weeks going through James, the book of James is sort of the, the New Testament version of Proverbs. There are many similarities between the book of Proverbs and the book of, of James. One of those similarities is an emphasis on wisdom and wisdom. So the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom, gleaning wisdom from what God has to say. James also touches quite a bit on, on wisdom, and this passage, he's going to do that. This passage, James describes wisdom for us. It's a really important topic. And so um, I am going to, to pray for us right now, and I'm going to pray that God would open our, our eyes, our hearts, our ears so that we can receive wisdom from him. Let me pray. Well, Lord, uh, Lord God, we thank you so much that you are all wise, but that you share your wisdom with us, that you have words to, to speak to us, that you have thoughts that aren't ours, they are beyond ours, and you want to communicate those thoughts to us. And so right now, I pray that you would make each person in this room very open and receptive to your wisdom Grow us in your wisdom. Change our understanding of what wisdom is this morning so that we can be more like you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So let me begin. Before we get to our passage, I'm going to give a few background thoughts on the topic of wisdom, and we will start in Proverbs. I'd like to read Proverbs 8, verses 10 and 11. It says, Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Wisdom is of great, great value. Okay, we desire a lot of different things. Okay, we desire the gold and the, wisdom and the jewels and things of, of that nature. And God says those things are of much, much, much lesser value compared to wisdom. Okay, wisdom is what you really want. Wisdom is what is, what is, of, what is of great value great ultimate value, wisdom. Earlier in Proverbs, Proverbs 4, it says simply, get wisdom. Get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. So a very simple command, just get it. Get wisdom. It should be an ambition of all of us to grow in wisdom. I'd say especially even for, for you younger people, as you think about your life goals, gaining wisdom is at, at, at the top of the list. When you come here on Sunday morning, when you come to youth group on Wednesday night, there's an opportunity to, to receive wisdom, to grow in it. And that should be exciting and that should be a pursuit that we can get wisdom question might be is, is how? Okay, how, how do we get wisdom? Well, the Bible gives us a few means of, of getting wisdom. Let me share a few. Number one, we pray for it. Remember how James started his letter back in chapter one. This is what he says. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. Okay, this is a pretty strong promise. God is going to generously give this. He is eager to give us wisdom generously. 
and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So we ask for wisdom. It should be one of the primary things that I think we ask for. When we pray, we should be asking for wisdom. Not only should we ask for wisdom for ourselves, I think we should be asking it for others as well. This is what Paul did frequently. Let me give you a few examples from two of his letters. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says this to the Ephesians, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And he's praying for their, their wisdom. Similarly, in Colossians, he says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so as we're praying, and even as we're praying for others, we could consider this. Okay, what do we pray for, for each other? Of course, we, we pray for circumstance change. We pray for healing in different ways. But this should probably be at the top of the list as we pray for each other and as we pray for ourselves that we would pray that God would give ourselves and others a spirit of, of wisdom. And when we pray that, we can be confident that he responds, that he gives wisdom. So we pray for it. Of course, we listen to God. He has words to share with us. He wants to tell us what wisdom is. He wants to define it, and we're actually going to do that a little later this morning. But he wants to share his wise words with us. Again, going back to Proverbs, Proverbs 2 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge, come knowledge and understanding. And so you see this invitation from God, pay attention, seek it eagerly, and I will speak wisdom to you. So of course we listen to God and thirdly, we, we spend time with the wise. Proverbs thirteen twenty: whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so that's a simple verse, but that's an important one. If I'm to get wisdom, I spend time with other people who are wise. That, of course, begs a question, though. Who is wise? And how do I, how do I tell? Well, James actually begins his passage with that question. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? And he's going to tell us. He's going to tell us who's wise. He's going to tell us what wisdom is. And so we need to pay attention here. So we're going to read James 3, 13 through 18. It's on page 1012 in your house Bible if you want to follow along. Although it's a short passage, only six verses, and I'm going to have each verse up here on the screen. And we're just going to go a verse or two at a time and explain them. And we'll start with verse 13, which says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let me make two quick comments about this introduction to the topic of wisdom here in James. Number one, wisdom results in good conduct. Okay, it produces action. Now, this is much of a theme of, of the book of James. 
but wisdom leads to conduct. Okay, it's not just this theoretical speculative wisdom. It's not just sitting up on a mountain contemplating. No, it's, it's acting. Okay, it's doing something. So wisdom results in good conduct. And secondly, wisdom is characterized by, by meekness. That's what he says, the meekness of wisdom, which is sort of interesting that he describes it that way. The meekness of wisdom also could be translated humility or gentleness in other translations. And so you see that, that wisdom has, this, has, has a gentleness to it. That doesn't mean a passivity. Remember, it's action-oriented, but it is, it is action and strength under control. Okay, there's a humility, there's a gentleness to this wisdom. So that's how he introduces this topic of wisdom. Now, in the next three verses, he is going to tell us what wisdom is not. Okay, what wisdom is not, he's going to describe. And this is important because we get confused about what wisdom is and is not. So let me read these, these three verses. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Make a few comments on these verses. Number one, there are two types of wisdom. Quote wisdom, a heavenly wisdom and an earthly or even demonic wisdom. Okay, so we get confused again. Sometimes we think something is wisdom that's not wisdom. Okay, there's a wisdom of the world that actually is, is very destructive. It's not godly wisdom. So there's a difference here. We have to sort this out. We have to let God sort it out for us. Okay, what is true wisdom and what is this false, deceptive, demonic wisdom? Number two, earthly wisdom is extremely destructive. Okay, the last phrase there, there will be disorder in every vile practice. When you're pursuing that kind of earthly, worldly wisdom, there is every vile practice there. Very, very damaging. We want to be very careful that we are pursuing the right kind of wisdom. And then thirdly, and this is really the, the, the thrust of it, I think. Earthly wisdom is characterized primarily by jealousy and selfish ambition. Jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, I want to spend a little bit of time here specifically on jealousy. I want to talk about jealousy some. Because I think jealousy is a sin that consumes a lot of us. Maybe we don't even realize it, but it does. And it is really, really destructive. But we can easily be very, very jealous, envious. It just creeps into our lives. And, and we have the ability as human beings to manufacture jealousy and rivalry out of nothing. When I was in college, I'll tell you a story. When I was, when I was in college, I went to the, the CSU rec center one day. And um, they've remodeled the rec center since then. I think it's a little different. But I went there, and at the rec center, there's, there's a bunch of basketball courts inside. And then on the second story, there's a track that goes around these basketball courts. 
And so you can run around this, tr- this track and, and look down. They overlook the, the corpse there. So I was over um, at the rec center and decided to go, to go for a run. And I was running on this track up above. And I could overlook all the basketball games down there. And, and I was watching them play. And I had my eye on this one particular game. And in this game, there was this particular guy who was good. Like he was a good player. And he was sort of dominating this game. And not only was he good, but he knew it. You could just tell. Like, this guy knew he was good. And he was kind of cocky. He could just, even me upstairs, I could see it. Um, I could see that this, he was an arrogant man. And, um, and he, he needed to be humbled. <clears throat> and, um, and, and it would please God... Okay, if this man was brought down a notch or two, he would please God. And lucky for God, <laughs> I was there. And, um, and I was the man for the job. And so I, I was watching him and I decided, okay, I'm going to walk downstairs and I'm going to get in this game. And so I did. I walked downstairs and I waited to get into this game and again, believing, now this was, first of all, he was better than me. Okay, he was good. And I, I he was, he was going to be a lot better than me. Um, but I, still, I knew I was God's tool here to bring much needed humility and repentance into the life of this reprobate. And so I got into this game and, um, and, and, and I chose to guard him. And so I'm guarding this guy. And I, I kid you not, within 60 seconds of getting into that game, I went up for a rebound, and I came down, and I landed on somebody's foot and rolled my ankle bad, like real bad. And so later it swelled up like a balloon and turned black and blue, and I was on crutches, and I couldn't walk for two weeks. And evidently, um, that guy wasn't the one that needed to be humbled there. <laughs> God taught me something, but there's an example of, of a situation where I, I just created this rivalry out of nothing, like with a stranger, I was just watching him play basketball, and I thought, I need to dominate that other person and bring that person down. Now, that's one silly example, but of course that happens all the time, and it would happen to me all the time. I remember, especially back in high school and college, there was just this constant competitiveness, rivalry, envy, and not only with strangers on a basketball court, but even with good friends where there was, there was this rivalry, there was this jealousy about uh, all kinds of different things, and, and um, you know, who, who was doing better academically or athletically or, or whatever. There was always this one-upmanship and, and this kind of thing going on. There was just jealousy and rivalry that would creep in all the time. And, of course, that would get even worse when you introduced girls into the situation. And I remember, say, hypothetically being drawn to a particular girl... But once I was, I'd start to notice things. I'd start to notice, oh, I, I think he might like her also. 
And even worse, she might like him. And that's no good at all. And, and once those things kind of start to creep into your mind, you start to develop other thoughts. First of all, that that guy is a horrible person. Okay? And I don't know why everybody else doesn't see it, but he has all these numerous faults that just begin to emerge and they stand out and they're just so clear and I probably should expose them. And, and also, there's that thought that comes into, into your mind, but also you think, okay, I need, I need to up my game. And I need to start performing, and I need to start becoming somebody more than I am. Again, there's this competition, there's this jealousy, there's this rivalry that is created. But that didn't leave me when I, say, left college or got married. Still happens. Still happens today. And and in, in all these things that I do, there can be competition, there can be comparison. You know, even as a pastor... It can be that same kind of comparison. You know, last week, John Larson gave a pretty good message. Okay? It's convicting. Um, it's challenging. It was a good exposition of Scripture. And to be absolutely honest, sometimes there's this thought in the back of my mind, like, oh, no. What if he and, and Travis and Perry are better than me? And what, what should I, I do about this? And I, I've got to up my game again. I've got to tell better jokes or something. And, and, and there can be that little bit of, of, of envy or, or competition, and, and it just creeps in. And it's all the time. It can just creep in there all the time, always comparing myself to somebody else. And am I good enough? Am I better than this person? Did they just get better than me? And how do people think about us? And how do we, how do we compare? And, and it just creeps in. Jealousy is, is everywhere. And I, I, I wonder where it might be in you. I, I think this morning, you know, James is so convicting. The book of James is so convicting. And it just draws out things that you don't always realize are there on the surface. But can we consider together this morning, is there something that God would want to root out there in terms of that unhealthy, competitive rivalry, whatever the area, is there something there that's in me? Because although we can kind of laugh about it, and although there can be these these just petty competitions, there... um, can be a lot of destruction that comes on the other side of, of jealousy and that sort of rivalry. Now, Proverbs 27.4 says, wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Okay, who can stand before jealousy? It's saying, okay, wrath and anger, they're pretty bad. They're overwhelming, but they don't even compare to jealousy. Okay, when you find yourself being envious of others, that's when that's when bad things really happen, every vile practice. Besides, if you open up this Bible and start reading, there's jealousy everywhere. I mean, that's what I've been thinking this week. This is, this is a history of jealousy in these pages. Let me give you some examples. Jealousy in the Bible. It's, it's just everywhere, every story. I mean, especially in the book of Genesis, of course. But there's just envy all over Cain and Abel, the first murder, because Cain was jealous of his brother and how, how God um, accepted his brother's offering and not his own. Sarai and Hagar, 
Of course, there's, there's jealousy there. Jacob and Esau, they're the, these brothers that had this kind of rivalry, Leah and, and Rachel competing, um, at, both married to, to Jacob, and, and there was Aaron and, and Miriam um, uh, jealous of Moses and his position, and Saul and David. I just got done reading 1 Samuel, and, 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 and Saul, who started out seemingly not that bad, but he was insecure. He was an insecure man, man. And slowly over time, his jealousy of David just took over and he became this brutal tyrant, murderous tyrant. Of course, the Pharisees and Jesus, the son of God was murdered in large part because of jealousy. We see that in Paul's ministry too. Everywhere he traveled, he would begin to see people come to Christ and the crowds would grow and then jealousy would come out. And then of course, Satan himself why this is demonic, is that Satan himself was, was jealous. Okay, jealousy is, is just all over our lives. It's all over the Bibles. It's just a part of our, our sinful human nature. And yet, behind it is disorder and every vile practice. And it's something to seriously bring before God and let him root out. And so... <clears throat> We're going to, with that, I wanted to give just a couple quick, before we move on to the next, next couple verses, a couple quick practicals related to, to jealousy. Um, number one, I do think we need to remove temptations to jealousy, okay, to just, just sort of flee from it. Um, let's talk about social media a little bit, okay, because social media is a jealousy factory, um, there's so much comparison that goes on. And I just want to encourage you, if you recognize that in, in your life, as you start scrolling, as you start recognizing comparisons that are going on in your brain, be willing to step away. I just say be willing to do that because, because you don't want to feed that kind of wisdom. Okay, that kind of wisdom is going to lead to, to, again, every vile practice and all this disorder. And so just be very aware, very aware when that's being stirred up in you. There's this envious spirit and be willing to step away when needed. But more positively, I think we just really need to get in the habit of, of, of celebrating others' successes. Okay, just to, to, look, to look around and, and when somebody does something very well, to commend that. Recognizing that God has designed limitations into all of us. We are part of a body, and that's a good thing. It's a very good thing that I cannot bring everything. I've got a small slice that God has given me, but, but John and Travis and Perry, they are filling in things that I cannot and if I try to compete to fill those things in, it's just going to be a disaster. Instead, I can celebrate, oh, God has given those other people these things, and I want to very actively, intentionally celebrate those successes and how, how others have been gifted and equipped. Okay, <clears throat> that said, let's move on to the last couple verses of this passage. And now that we've... we've gone over a little bit of what wisdom is not or what earthly wisdom is. Let's now ask, well, what is wisdom? 
okay, what does God give us here? How does James, through the Holy Spirit, define wisdom? Well, he defines it in a way that I wouldn't expect, honestly. Okay, this might not be the way that I naturally define wisdom, but this is how God defines wisdom. Okay? So, let's, let's read it, but think, think, maybe think first, okay, how would I define wisdom? What, what image do you have in your mind of, of, of wisdom? And then let's read. Let's read what, what James says. Verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, so verse 17, he gives this list of characteristics of wisdom that are included in wisdom. But I think verse 18 is is the the punchline here. Verse 18 is where where James really brings his thoughts in this passage together. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I think he's concluding something. I think he's bringing it all together. And what we see here, I believe, is that peacemaking is a chief characteristic of wisdom. Okay, peacemaking is a chief characteristic of wisdom. Now, that, again, is not what I would expect, and I don't know if I even initially really like that, because if I defined wisdom in some other way, I think I could make it more attainable. Um, I I think I could qualify a little easier. If I just defined wisdom as the ability to maybe order and manage life well and make decisions that, that led to a, a reasonable amount of stability and things like that, I, I, I could say, yeah, I think, I think I could qualify as being wise. But if much of the core of wisdom is the ability to make peace, that's a lot harder. Okay, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not as certain that I could be described as wise there. And it's not just peacekeeping. It's not just passively avoiding confrontation or not rocking the boat. No, it's making peace. It's proactively initiating and bringing peace to a situation that might not be that peaceful. That's an indication of true, true wisdom. Besides, let's go back to verse 17 and look at all those characteristics of wisdom. And I will say that they are all, they're all peacemaking type types of words. Okay, in verse, verse 17, wisdom from above is first pure. Okay, pure, it's purely motivated, I would say. It's not motivated by the selfish ambition of that false wisdom. It's purely motivated, selfless. It is then peaceable. Okay, there's, there's a peace that emanates from that wisdom. It's what, what's characteristic of, of that wisdom is, is peace. It is gentle, just like we, we shared earlier. There's, a, there's that meekness of wisdom. There's a gentleness to it. It's not, a, not an abrasive. It's not a harsh wisdom. No, it's, there, there's a gentleness to it. It is open to reason. Okay, it's not just driven by emotion or bias, but it is open to, to reason. It's reasonable. It is full of mercy and good fruits. It's merciful. It's compassionate. There's a graciousness that comes out of this kind of, of wisdom. It is impartial, doesn't show favoritism. It rightly evaluates things fairly. 
And it's sincere. There's a genuine desire for good here in this kind of heavenly wisdom. And so all of these words describe a peacemaking type of wisdom. And again, that that is a little uncomfortable for me because if if I could define wisdom as um, financial astuteness or just basic life management or whatever it is, I I could say, yeah, that's that's attainable. But when I look at my life and say, how well can I bring peace to a situation? Bring peace to a situation that's not that peaceful. That's a lot more challenging. Okay, that that can be hard. Um, But my my hope and my prayer today is that we, we we would get that wisdom from God. Even a very practical wisdom. Remember, there's a good conduct that flows out of true wisdom. And we would consider together, are there situations, are there relationships that, that need this kind of wisdom? Okay, some of us have, have conflict in our life. And even if it's not big conflict, maybe there's, there's um, smaller relational strain. And, and would God bring his wisdom into those situations as we ask him for it? Remember, he gives generously, gives generously wisdom when we ask in faith. So can we ask in faith for that generous wisdom to be applied to the situations of relational strain that are in our lives right now? And I think he will grant that. And so can we, can we think of that and can we be willing, can we leave this morning willing to take those peacemaking steps that we may need to take. But of course, that feels pretty daunting. Yeah, that can feel very daunting. Maybe we don't feel very good at that kind of wisdom, and those situations that we encounter are, are big. Now, God doesn't promise peace in every situation. Remember Romans 12, where it says, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Not everybody will respond to efforts. But walking in God's wisdom does mean making those efforts and trusting that he can bring peace to situations that seem like like no peace could be brought to them. But of course, to really, really see that happen, we of course need to draw on on our ultimate peacemaking God. Because because God is the all-wise one who made peace with his enemies. Okay, this is, this is the wisdom that characterizes God, remember. Um, God showed his amazing wisdom by coming down and reconciling, by, by making peace. That's, that's who Jesus is. That's, that's who God is reflected in Jesus. He's, he's our peacemaking God. And if we have received him, he has united himself with us. Remember, we, he is in us, we are in him. There is this union with Christ that gives us his resources, his power, his ability to make peace, and we can trust that. So with that, I am going to close with one last passage. I just want to read it about God's peacemaking, reconciling ability and to let that settle into us. And as I'm reading that band, you can go ahead and come on back up, and we're going to sing one last song. But as we close, let's read Romans 5, verses 6 through 11, about our peacemaking God and recognize that this is what we're offered. 
We've been offered this, and so then we can give it as well. Romans 5, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, for if while we were enemies, we were, we were reconciled to God. While we were enemies, we were, we were enemies of God. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 